1: When I started doing comedy and going to auditions, I remember trying to hide my accent. Believe me, if I could do an American accent, I would do it because it works for my benefit in order to get more roles. But the reason that I was doing it is because I was embarrassed. I didn't have that confidence because I wanted to get accepted. But now what's funny is once you start accepting who you are and really not caring what people say, that's when you start getting the parts because people always gravitate to originality and to realness. I think that's a thing that everybody goes through. The keys to always, in any situation, be who you are. Hi, I'm Francisco Ramos.
2: Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm
0: Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Roman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. On today's show, we're talking to actor, comedian, and writer, Francisco Ramos. I well, I just butchered that as well.
0: I'm <laughs> under the names. Nobody can say his last name like he does. R- 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 Ramos.
2: <laughs> I don't think Chinese people can roll
0: the R's no. either. Actually, my sister can. I have to say, that was one trick that she's always kind of gotten down pat since we were children. And I'd be like, Noelle, how do you do that? And she would just trill her R's like forever.
2: You know, the one stereotype I think that was reinforced on the show was not, and Francisco is Mexican, of Mexican descent, but grew up in Venezuela, comedian in LA. But he reinforced the stereotype of Asian people and doctors. Because when he's like, what his parents wanted him to do was like business. And I'm like, what? I thought thought all minorities (laughs) did doctors.
0: (laughs) You learned something today, huh, Raman? Look at that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he was great. He was, I think I've kind of learned that I think I like having comedians on our show. Because they tend to be super serious and thoughtful. And it was just a real pleasure to hear his perspective and his experiences. One of my favorite stories that he told us was the first, was it the first day he went to school? It was, some, it was early in the school year, the first time he had come to the States and he was given homework and he was doing his homework till 4.30 in the morning or something like that because he was given a workbook and he thought his homework was to finish everything in that workbook. And that, that just touched my heart in a way that I can't, I don't know. I just can't put that into words. It's almost like this, you're in a new place. Maybe the the language is foreign, but certainly the culture is foreign and you're given instructions. And he was just like, to me, that was just a testament of him, him trying his best, you know, to succeed in this new yeah. country.
2: And I mean, it, this kind of universal theme throughout the conversation about like, find what you really like to do. He told this story of when he studied finance, you know, and he went to a class and yeah. the other guy, in his class, an Indian guy was like, oh, I just love valuating companies. I could mm-hmm. do it for free. And he's like, I could never do it. And <laughs> at that exact same moment when I was a computer engineer, that's what I got my degree in. And I remember being in the lab, just doing the project just to get the grade. And this other guy like ordered all the parts on his own and wow. was like building it from scratch. I was like, oh yeah, you're going to do better at work than me. I, yeah. I can't compete, you know? Yeah. It's was just like, and then later on he had his awakening, right? When he like secretly studied improv. So yeah.
0: Yeah, that is a really good barometer. I mean, I think about it a lot and I do a lot of marketing for free, actually. You know, sometimes by choice, sometimes not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a really good. I think that's a good gauge of are you where you should be and are you doing the things that you really love
2: because Would you do it for free? Would you do it for free? Yeah.
0: Yeah, would you do it for free?
2: The other thing is, he's the second guest to mention, The Alchemist. I need to read this book, apparently. Oh,
0: you do. You haven't read it yet, huh? You definitely have to read it. <laughs> up up there with change. sapiens and yeah. It'll change your life. I think you're going to be a transformed model minority after oh, you no. read The Alchemist.
2: I like me. I don't want to change.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll be the thing. You'll just be more enlightened. You'll be more enlightened.
2: Oh, that's, that's not good for anybody. Here's I, the one thing I will give Francisco, and we, we should just go straight into it. But he gave the most original response to one of my favorite questions, which is the mom dish question. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, wow, you, you're going to love that one. Yep. So, so here's a
0: friend. Francisco Ramos.
2: Francisco, thanks for being on the pod, man. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. How
1: are you?
0: Good. So, Francisco, say your last name for us, please.
1: Ramos or Ramos or Ramos. (laughs) Ramos. Ramos. That's for the middle America.
0: I get such a thrill hearing that R rolled off your tongue like that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I used to, when I grew up, I just didn't. I couldn't pronounce. I had to go to a speech therapist because I couldn't pronounce, I couldn't roll my R's, you know. So, yeah, I actually, so now I roll them more than I need. <laughs> <laughs> The people are like, all right, enough with the R's. So, I was like, you know, I, I couldn't do this when I was five. <laughs>
2: when I was in elementary school, I don't, it was like some spelling bee or something because Indian and the people say my name, you know, next up is Raymond Segal. <laughs> and my dad who's in the crowd stands up and it's like, it's a rumen. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, Oh God. And then I was uncool for 20 years because of that. Yeah. <laughs> Massive. he, right. he was Thanks.
0: standing up for you. I like that about your dad.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's that's great. That's point. why when we had our kid, I was like, Everyone must be able to pronounce her name. That's that's key. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So easy. Is, is your name to pronounce that's international sometimes, is it bad? We can use it for... Or everybody has their own way of pronouncing it. In Spanish, it's Francisco. In English, you could say Frank. In, in French, Francois. In Italian, Francesco. So... I like it because every time I can go, someone can. But I'm not big, big of a deal of people pronouncing my name correctly or not. I, With stand-up, you get it. People do it so. mean to pronounce your name so much that you get used to like that. Who cares?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, so Francisco, I got to ask. So people know who you are. They've seen you on TV. They've seen your stand-up specials. You see on the big screen. But can you tell us a story about... Something from when you were growing up?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, well, I think using the whole minority thing, because I didn't know, I mean, I was in, I was born in Venezuela. I lived there until I was 11, 12. So I didn't grow up with any, I didn't know I was a minority, because especially in Venezuela, Venezuela is a very mixed country. So were there-
2: What town were you in Caracas or Maracaibo? In, oh, in Caracas,
1: yes, yeah. yes. So I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up with, I, I mean, over there, what's, what's, I guess, what's bad is classism. That's what it is. It's more about if you're poor or rich kind of thing. So when I moved to, the first time we moved to the U.S., that was my first time when I been in a school with, and I didn't know English. That's one thing that I want to talk about, because I didn't, my mom put me in a little private school that they didn't have any, it wasn't a public school, so they didn't have ESL. So I had to learn English on my own, literally, and I had my I, I would sit in the back and I would literally just listen like a monkey and just try to soak everything in. But I do remember one. I mean, my first time that I experienced some kind of racism or anything like that was, I, was my first when I was in sixth grade. And this kid, I remember he called me a speck. And I didn't know what that was because I didn't know English, obviously. So I thought he meant speak. So I'm going like, no speck. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? I was like. <laughs> oh, was my like, God. No. I was like, And I remember knowing that it was, I didn't know what it was, but I could tell from his way that he was saying that it was something bad, you know, but it didn't really, it didn't really affect me more. It was more about, oh, okay, I know what it felt to not, it was more not to be cool or included in the class kind of thing. So, but yeah, that was, I mean, another thing about that happened to me was not knowing English was also... I remember I did one time. I Remind me, me again,
2: how old were you when you came over?
1: I was 12. I was 11, okay. 12, like in sixth grade, in the last okay. half of sixth grade. And I remember also, I wanted to do good in school. So I, I did one time, I stayed over, stayed late doing math problems until like four in the morning. And my parents were like, how do they, why do they give you so much work? This is crazy. And what happened was, no, I didn't realize when the teacher gave the assignment, I thought she meant to do the whole, the whole workbook and it was only like do page forty four to forty six. And I <laughs> oh did all the goodness. work that you needed doing for for basically the whole the
2: whole semester. The whole, the whole
1: semester.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it was like a few months later when you actually realized?
1: <laughs> no, it was like I think it was I think it was the day after or something. Oh, okay. I okay. went over and were like, I was like, oh, I did, I, I did everything. Okay, cool. Well, now I don't have to do anything else. Yeah,
0: so you had no homework for no a couple months. That's that's not too bad.
2: Pretty much, yeah. My my parents, anytime I do something like that, I'd be like, well, go to the next chapter. <laughs>
1: I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I'm like, no, them. that's it. I'm done. There's no more chapters. Well, then get a new book.
2: Yeah, get a new book. But it's not because my parents are Indians, because they were both teachers. What did your mom and dad do? My
1: mom, she's a pharmacist and also worked in in marketing and procurement. And that's why she got the job. I mean, we moved to, actually, we lived in Maryland, D.C. And we moved because my mom got a job at the Pan American Health Organization. And that's why, the whole reason we moved to the U.S. And my dad had his own business. He was an industrial chemist. And he had his business about distributing medical products to labs and hospitals. Yeah. but yeah, we all moved together, me, my parents, and my sister. We, we moved in 94, I believe, yeah,
2: 94. And what, what did mom and dad want you to be? And contrast that with what did you want to be back then?
1: Well, what's funny is like, I guess, I don't know, I mean, you guys always relate because with minorities, I don't think, especially not, I don't think even, I mean, I think it has to do with minorities when you come to the U.S., but also living in a third world country kind of idea. It's like when I didn't grow up thinking of like, okay, what's my dream? Oh, what do I want to do? I never.
2: Yeah. You don't have that. uh, Yeah. You don't have
1: that luxury. It was more about like, well, I guess I'll do whatever I need to do or whatever my parents want to do or whatever. So my parents never pushed me to do one thing, but they always did give us like, oh, you got business and do this and you are gonna be in business, something, study business, nothing specific. Why business? I guess because of they grew up in this mentality of being going to school and having a degree. And I mean, I guess my parents had, and my dad has his own, his own business. My mom worked in corporate, I mean, basically like a corporate job. So it was more like that, kind of like that idea. And I never thought, I mean, I, I actually majored in finance and international business. I went to the University of Maryland, and that was what I was going to do. I never thought I was, and I did it also because. My friends were also doing the same thing. Kind of all the friends that I had were doing the same thing. So I never thought of myself of what I wanted to do until the last semester of college. That's when I f- my first hint of going like, okay, this is weird because I don't like what I'm doing, and that's when I started thinking, all right, what do I want? And what was that? Become a dancer for Magic Mike? Ma- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if it's like all that nice and it's like, wait, what now? No, I actually, well, my thing was I started thinking. I mean, when I, I took this class, last semester class, it was going to be security valuations, which is why I thought I wanted to focus on finance.
0: Security valuations?
1: Yeah, which is like analyzing companies, CFA kind of stuff, certified financial analysts, just analyzing that sounds,
0: companies. Too. That sounds so exciting.
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, right? I don't mean it's,
0: that at all. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, no, yeah. I mean, well, that was the thing. I was supposed to be excited for it. I was excited. Right. I remember going the first day of class, and it was such a, it was such a huge letdown because I was like, "Whoa, I do not like this at all." Yeah. And I was like, "This is weird. This is what I wanted to do, and I hate this." But I graduated because it was last semester. I started working at an investment firm because my sister used to work there, and I got an internship there, and I, then I started working there. And then in my mind, I'm going like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do kind of thing. Whatever everyone tells themselves, this is what I'm supposed to do. Until I remember going, and actually, it's, it's funny because a guy who was an intern there, he was, a, I guess, a higher intern. He was already starting to be the CFA. And he was actually Indian. And I remember we went to Happy Hour and, uh, and he were having a drink. And he's like, man, it's like, I love analyzing companies for free, man. And he, when he said that, that's when it really hit me. I was like, whoa. I have to be like him. If I can't think like him, then I have to, I have to find that thing of like, I want to do something that I can still do for free and I'll be happy with. And that's what started leading related. I mean, well, first of all, I would say I had like a quarter life crisis. Cause I was like, Ugh. everything was the same, but I would go, to parties and then weekends to the clubs and everybody was talking about the same thing. It was like, I knew what my life was going to be. It was like, okay, I study, then I, I work for a bit, then I go and get a, an MBA and then I get married and then I buy the house, and then I get divorced, yeah, the and I like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm not, I was like, this is, I can't. So I started actually going to bars and nobles. I was like, be like, you know, it's also as an art minority thing, I think that we can all relate is that therapist is a very american thing going to therapy is like yeah that's like hey nobody i mean i never heard of therapy until i moved to the u.s if you're going like i met my family if you're going to therapy you're literally crazy right joker
0: yeah you're yeah yeah like you have a mental a, a mental, a mental thing yeah.
1: it's not because i want to talk about my feelings it's like what's your <laughs> name? You know? so for me i did it on my own in a way i went to bars and nobles and i, I remember i read self-help books and I read The Alchemist, which has a book that I recommend too, with, to everybody to read. It's such a great book. And that also started leading me to think of, like, it also, then, then I started thinking about what I like throughout my life. And everything always led to comedy or to, to making people laugh. And it's like, I loved watching comedy. I loved making people laugh. And that was my thing throughout. Even when I was little, I started thinking, oh, yeah, I would always get good grades, but I was getting trouble because I was always talking in class because I wanted to make people laugh and all this stuff and that's when I started thinking and going like well maybe this is something I should do and I remember I took during that time improv whose line is it anyways a show that was very popular back then and I loved watching it so I took an improv class in DC never told anybody kind of like basically I didn't even tell my girlfriend at the time and I was like all right I just gotta do this on my own and when I did it, it was the first time I took that class. That's the first time I went like, whoa, this is weird because a lot of things happened that never happened in my life. I liked I effort. I did something that I right away I liked that I knew that I was a little better than the average person and that I wanted to do it again and get better at it. I, didn't, I wasn't going to get bored. So those three things, I was like, whoa, this is weird.
2: How long was that a secret? You go into improv classes.
1: Oh man! I mean, actually, I kept the secret until I they had the graduation class, the whatever graduation show, and we had you know, and it's kind of like the only people that come are your friends and family. So that was the first time I told friends. I mean, I don't think it was just friends. I don't know who my family came, but it's just friends to come and watch the show. And that was the first time I kind of let that secret out. And yeah, man, I used to promote parties. I used to promote clubs and stuff like that. And I I would stop doing that and I would I was interning into some in an improv troupe club or something on Fridays and Saturday nights because I just wanted to be in it and that's how I started I did that for 2 years and then that's when I realized well started thinking if I want to do this for real I have to go where the major people are the best are that's why one of the reasons I moved to LA
2: What did your parents say when you were and- like I'm moving to LA. I just yeah. graduated from this improv class, which you I've been thinking my secretly. Yeah. That was my
0: question. Yeah.
1: No, well, what was funny and you know, what I always say to people is again, and that's after I read the Alchemist, I started listening to science or really paying attention to the science that life gives you to pursue your your personal purpose in the world. And I started going and people were going, like, wow, I remember going, oh, they we're so funny, it should be in the movies. But when I told my parents that I was actually going to move, it was a such a, they didn't say anything. They were like, okay, cool. It wasn't like, go do it, go be. But for a minority parents, when they don't yell at you, they don't yell at yeah. you or they don't say anything.
0: Yeah, that, it's like silent support, right? When, they're, yeah, when they don't like, say no, that means yes. That
1: means yes, <laughs> and that means go do it. And, and so for me, when they, when they did that, I was like, wow, okay, great. Also, I graduated and I was already working. So, the, yeah, if, right. I, yeah. if I would have said this my first semester in college, they would have been like, "Ah, uh, no." But <laughs> yeah, so but yeah, that was also a very big sign, and that's why. And also, my my dad especially was also in the beginning. He was like, "Well, if you don't, why don't you just come back?" The first months that I move, and I remember fighting with my dad, going, "No, this is what I want to do. What are you talking about? This do you have to understand? This is what I want to do." And then finally, but well, my dad passed away, so he never got a chance to see my whole career of, do, of doing this. And my mom has been also been, but my mom has been very supportive in her own way. What I mean by that is that I grew up in a very criticism family where they don't, they see the the bad instead of the good right away. So it's always, but I learned to understand that, that that's their way of supporting. Because my mom, for example, like, I did a show on Netflix, one of my first shows that I did that I had a small part. But that was a very big deal. And then my mom saw it. And the first thing that she said was, how come you don't have any more lines? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks. I mean, I got it. <laughs>
0: Thank you, mom. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, they did support me. And my mom has always been supportive. And I'm pretty sure my dad was still, especially when they start seeing the, the results. Because they don't, I think they don't, understand. they grew up in a different era. So they don't understand. It's like, no, but you're supposed to work in an office nine to five. And do this and do that. And it's like, I mean, yeah, that works for people. I got a friend. I have a friend that he's one of my good friends in, in D.C. And he told me and I was very respectful that he told me and, and, and great. He's like, look, I, I respect what you're doing, but I like having my nine to five. I like getting paid every 15th of the month. I like having that security. And I'm like, yes, that's what people have to realize. It's like, what do you like? What works for you? I don't like that. I learned to live with, well, I'm not going to have money for two months. And then all of a sudden have money for three months, all stuff like that. But other people say, no, just do what you like. That's what I tell people. Don't be afraid to not do what you don't like because you're you're afraid that you're not going to not have a nine to five security. That's what i was saying.
0: When you first started out as a comedian, and even today, do you feel like there are things that you need to do to fit in or to maybe be considered for roles that typically you wouldn't? be looked at for, like look considered for?
1: Well, I think it's more when I started for sure, because Uh I always had this thing and I was, I mean, I was, and I learned that while I did my whole self-therapy thing. It's like, yeah, I always wanted to belong. I always wanted to be liked, be accepted. So when I started doing comedy and, and going to auditions and all this stuff, it's like, yeah, I mean, I always, I remember, for example, trying to hide my accent or, I mean, Believe me, if I could do an American accent, I would do it because it works for my benefit in order to get better, more roles, or whatever it is. But the reason that I was doing it is because I was embarrassed when I started, not because of that. And and I just felt I didn't have that confidence. So because I wanted to get accepted and be like this, and so. But now, what's funny is like once you start accepting who you are and really not caring what people say, that's when you start getting the parts, and that's when you start getting more successful because people always gravitate to originality and to, and to realness. So that's one thing that's, I mean, you know, but it's still, I mean, even you still, I mean, I think that's a thing that everybody goes through. I mean, I think the key is to always be in any situation, be who you are.
0: Yeah. When was the moment that that clicked for you though? Because as you talk about your trajectory, I think about my own experience in ramen, you probably feel this way too. But I think when I started out with my career, I felt the same way. I mean, not from an accent perspective, but that I had to do a lot of things to fit in or I had to do a lot of things to, to be accepted with the team or the company. Or, and a lot of that just comes from not even knowing what you're supposed to do. So it's like you're just following what everyone else is doing. When was that moment where you thought, I'm going to show up as myself? I'm going to show up wearing the clothes that I want to wear that I can identify with. I'm going to speak the way that I speak and not try to sound more American.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's been a slow process. I mean, first of all, the clothes, I think it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember when I first, for example, started doing stand up, I would was wearing one thing or wearing a bracelet or something. I don't know. I don't remember because... And then I'm like, that doesn't make you funny. Who cares? You can wear whatever. (laughs) You know, or or, or wear the same. And then the accent thing started. I mean, but I think there hasn't been one day where I went like, okay, the movie one, where like I take my clothes and then (laughs) the the pretty... What is it? The ugly duckling thing of the typical high school movie where it's like, and then when the cool... But I think it's all the rejection that I've had that has led to... To finally go, like, I'm done. I know who I am. I know what I can do. And this is it. And that's when, you start, once you start having that real, genuine thing of like, because I would say it's not not caring about you or your craft, it's not caring about getting accepted or not. Once you start real, and then once you really have that, then boom, then. Stuff is going to happen because that's what, because that's a, it's a funny thing that people just gravitate to that. you know, they, especially in the, in the entertainment industry, because everybody so much wants something and everybody's always so fake because they want something from you. So when you meet people that are like, no, this is who I am, that's it. And they don't, I don't care if you like me or not. I mean, this is who I am. People just start working with
2: you. Our mutual friend, right, is yes. a comic who left corporate America to to do the comedy yeah. thing, and his realization was making it was sure. There's the goals of the features and the headliners and all yes. that stuff, but it was also now nah, I can sustain myself. What's the goal? What is making it for you out well, there?
1: Well, that's a thing that's, that you always. I mean, I always have to remind myself because. I'm very ambitious. I mean, I'm assuming we all are. And we never realize what we have. That I think making it, because making it has always... Because I don't think... I think, first of all, I think what I realize is that you have to be happy with what you're doing, but also... And then realize it that you, what you have, but also doesn't mean you can still be ambitious. Because if i if you never, never happy, then I'm, I'm never going to make it. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm always going to be like... I always say the same thing, because doing stand-up, you see a lot of people that are a lot of comics that sometimes are, are very bitter or not happy. And I go and i look at them. I'm like, what the hell are you doing so much better than me? Like, why are you not happy? And you got, but it's like, and then you go like, no. So for me making it, it's actually doing what I'm doing right now, which is actually living, paying my bills and living comfortably doing stand up and doing what I like. Obviously, my goals are much bigger than that. I mean, I definitely want to get to a point where I'm, I would say even getting to a point where my name is big enough so I can produce other people's work. Yeah. I'll yeah. be, be the best because then I can, because to me then that's was really cool because then you can actually help. Other
2: people. Well, it's like reputation, right? Being yeah. famous is one thing, but reputation is another. I always want to be, Sharon and I argue about this. I want this podcast to be famous. I don't need to be famous. And then people are like, oh, yeah, that, that's amazing. You're the guy that did that. Yeah. How'd you do it? That's more important to me.
0: I just want to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and rich,
2: rich and good. famous, both. Rich and famous. Yeah. No, okay. because see, if you're famous, people bug you. If you're rich, you can be anonymous. That's um, true. That's oh, true. Okay.
1: That is yeah, better, no, and I, I guess. I, I like that. I like, well, it's funny because that's a thing that being in, in the limelight or something or being as a stand-up that you have to be like that. But I would say I prefer to be, like you said, I don't need to be the main guy if I'm going to be in a project that's really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, that's why of the stuff that I am have, I've been lucky enough to, to be in good projects that I'm not have a little small part or whatever but they're important they're big they're they're doing stuff and i prefer that because especially also that's one way to not get to to be the the famous guy or the rich guy because you can do something that you're not ready for too as well which we've seen when people on the lead or and whatever and then in the movie or the project sucks because they weren't ready or they weren't they would just want it too quickly or whatever so I'm very happy right now with doing consistent work. I mean, I would say I want to have a career. I don't want to be famous.
2: That's yeah, you, you, you want to work. You want to work, yeah. get the skills as you go. And yeah, yeah, as with anything, it's kind of the put in your 10,000 hours, get better and better and better.
1: Yeah. And, and to me, it's like if you get rich and famous and you get like whatever, to me, that's a bonus thing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But if I can be, I mean, there's millions of people in this industry, especially in the entertainment industry that you don't have no idea that are so successful that are doing very well they live very well and you have no idea who they are because they're producers they're behind the camera they're whatever DPs writers all this stuff and they're doing great so well, I think it's also I tell people know who you are be realistic with yourself and also with, like, with what you're good at because that's another thing to people I tell people when they follow their dreams it's like Hey, not everybody's going to be LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Serena Williams.
2: But Scottie Pippen was pretty good.
1: But hey, Scottie Pippen still is a Hall of Famer, but he realized what his role is. Or Phil Jackson. He didn't, hey, he became a better coach than a better player. That was what I tell people. It's like, you can always be, I give an example too of like right now of Judd Apatow, which I, because he started doing comedy now more and he did a special, all this stuff. I mean, I don't know him, but from what I've seen, I think he realized early on when he started doing comedy, it's like, oh, I'm not as good as this guy's right now, But so let me just concentrate on what I'm good at, which is writing. Yeah,
2: I just. can write. Yep.
1: And then what he did, he became really big because of what he did. And now he can go back and do stand-up, and people actually <laughs> come and see him because now he's a big deal. So you can always get to what you wanted to do in the first place, but you
2: maybe you have to do it another way. So I want to shift gears a little bit to... Your heritage. So a lot of your material, some of the material when you were less comic standing dives into your identity a little bit. But then in some of the sketch work you've done, and obviously the acting roles, it just kind of leans on to a talented person who happens to be of Mexican origin, right? How do you reconcile that? Because you came over. As effectively a teenager, right? So, do you feel Mexican? Do you feel American? When people say, "Where are you from?" How do you reply?
1: Well, I feel Mexican because I live in LA. But but...
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, you're just all you guys in California are just weirdos, man.
1: When I go to New York, I'm Puerto Rican. And when I go to Miami, (laughs) Cuban. And then when I go to Venezuela, I'm American. So I have no idea what I am. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I moved when I moved to. I always tell people, and that's another thing that took me a while to fit in because. I've never been full Venezuelan, I've never been full American, I've never been full cool, I've never been full nerd I've never been full athlete but i never been full like I don't know. so it's always like in the middle it's always been in the middle so to me it was very it took me a while to accept that yeah and I don't, I think for me I just, there's a lot of things that I like about Venezuelan culture and then Latin culture overall and there are a lot of things that I like about the American culture as well so like I always say like, it's a very mix. I don't know, sometimes I like some American things and sometimes I like more of the Latin things. And I think it's what I like is like I can pick and choose. It's fine to be that way, but you don't have to be, because that's how, you, that's how I was raised, that's how I was born. My parents, when we moved here, they didn't, we didn't go like, all right, we're gonna assimilate or anything like that, not at all. I mean, it was like, we're gonna speak Spanish. I used to go to Venezuela all the time for the summer. So I'm always been, like I said, I'm always in the middle. I'm always not full. I'm half, I guess I half been as well, half American. You
2: know? It's yeah. funny. I, I relate to half of what you said, because it's, mm-hmm. I can definitely do the switching, right? If I need to be more ethnic, more international, or frankly, even pull out my Southern accent to charm old ladies, like I can <laughs> do it. And honestly, this is revealing for me. It's like, maybe it's East Asians, South Asians. It's all about the assimilation game and you better become a doctor, right? But it sounds like the Latin experience or the Latin American experience is, no, man, you be you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: you better. Yeah, it's very, in a way, the very Italian culture as well when they come here and they're like, well, you're going to speak Italian? We're going to be Italian. It's kind of like that. We don't, I think there's more Latinos that I heard that, that assimilate and also is back, but then other ones that are like, no, we're just going to speak Spanish or we're going to do Spanish and English. And also has to do with, I think it also has to do with, because I tell people like, if I was born here, be a total different thing. I wouldn't speak Spanish probably. I would have, I don't know if I would have more Latin friends that I have right now. I mean, cause I came, it's a different things when you come from like, when you come, when you're a teenager when you're already grown up and then you're in a different boat because now I'm friends, because all my friends growing up were people that were on the same thing. Kids that came when they're 12, 13, 14, 15. So we were like, oh, we already grew up in a Latin culture, but now we're here. So now we're immigrants in a way, but then I live here for so much now that if I go to Venezuela, I don't know, I'm completely, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I have no idea what's going on. So it's, it is a thing where you like, I understand when people are like, so that's why I never judge people. Like you say, if you're Latino, you don't know Spanish. I was like, yeah, you were born here. Why would you know? It doesn't matter if
2: your parents are from Guatemala. Or oh Mexico. man. Indian yeah. people are so judgmental when you don't I speak don't Hindi. How are Chinese people sharing?
0: <laughs> They're the same way. They're the same way. Oh, really? like, how do you not speak Chinese? But then when I go back to China and I can speak anything. yeah, They're so impressed. They're like, wow, yeah. you're American and you can speak Chinese. So yeah. I actually like going to the motherland because my horrible Chinese is very appreciated there. Oh,
2: exact <laughs> opposite. I was in South <laughs> India, like backpacking around and yeah. I tried to like with my like shitty Hindi, tell the <laughs> taxi driver where to go. And he's like, no, man, just speak English. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well,
1: that's funny. He's I mean, like, you know, man, that's cool, bro. But just, yeah. just speak to me in English. I got it. <laughs>
0: So, Francisco, I want to talk to you about love, or I want you to talk to us about love.
1: Oh, wow. It's getting, it's getting personal. Did
0: your parents want you to date Venezuelan girls or marry a Venezuelan woman?
2: He's Mexican. He's Mexican. Me- <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> no, they never basically told me who to date or what to date or anything like that or what to date. I mean, obviously, a human. I mean, I think it was more of me because I think when I'm when I moved here... Or when we moved, I didn't want to move. I remember that was the, because I was in, when we were in sixth grade, that's when I first started going out to parties with my friends and actually meeting girls. And I was having fun. And then we moved here and it was like, ah, and so I never wanted to move. So I think in my mind, I always wanted to date a Venezuelan girl, actually, was because of me, not because I don't tell me, it's because I wanted to still keep some of the culture you know, yeah. of Venezuela. So so I remember, yeah, my first girlfriend was actually from Venezuela. But then what's funny is now my current girlfriend who I live with, she's from North Carolina. So like, <laughs> it's like this complete opposite of, because now it's one of the things that I realize is forcing stuff. You can't force anything, especially relationship or love. So it's like, I realize it's like, and also the fact that I've been living here for so long now. Yeah. That even, I don't know if I could, Literally, I don't know if I could go out with a Venezuelan girl. That's right now. Like, let's say she lives in Venezuela, and we have to move here. Like, I don't know if I could do it because she—it would be too different. It'd be so different because she lives one way and I live one no way. You know, it'd be harder, right?
0: So, your your girlfriend's from? You said North Carolina.
1: Yeah, North Carolina.
0: Where's she originally from?
1: North Carolina. She's American. <laughs> well, I, I I joke with her that she's she's actually more before, like, she's more of a foreigner in LA than, than you are, are. right? <laughs> I joke with her that she's actually like... Like she's
0: like a pilgrim? Like, like she like came Russian over? Russian or something. Oh. She
1: looks like, like she's adopted and she's actually Russian. That's why I, I joke with her. But no, she was born in North Carolina. All her family's from North Carolina. So yeah, she's full American... American Full girl. American
0: white girl. What did mom say when you brought her home?
1: Why doesn't she speak Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: Francisco, Francisco why a, didn't you
0: bring home a Spanish-speaking yeah,
1: girl? Yeah, yeah. No, no, she doesn't care about that. It's more, it's the fact is literally because she can't, she doesn't speak English that well. So it's hard for her to... To speak to her that's pretty much it but it's like no she but yeah i think they get along very well she gets along very well with my sister and it's great i think it was was one thing i realized too and that's moving in that's one thing that i really learned growing you know growing up in in dc and moving in and meeting so many different people from different backgrounds and countries and stuff like that is like the similarities we're so similar and like me and her even though i mean Her family and my family are very similar in so many things, which is why it works out. I guess the only big difference is the language, but everything else in terms of values and everything else is pretty similar. So I realized, yeah, yeah, you got to be with people that it doesn't matter in a way okay you're uh, it helps
2: i think race and stuff in culture it helps but it's like you got to know what the values and the deal breakers are yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah it definitely helps better if you're it helps more but especially with your parents or whatever but yeah going back to that question i never got told like hey pick this girl do this girl and i was never never about that i don't know if they did it to my sister
2: (laughs) i feel like that's maybe another difference because Again, I ended up with not an Indian girl and Sharon went up not with a, a Chinese boy, but there's that pressure and yeah. expectation. And her and I, we both just went in the other direction completely. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it caused, it, it didn't cause as much drama for me, but Sharon, I think yours probably caused a little more drama.
0: Yeah, we had some drama in my family.
2: Oh, really? drama.
0: Yeah. Cause I think part of it is I'm the oldest and I had dated Chinese boys pretty much up and I mean, there was probably a white guy. Here and there, but pretty much all Chinese. <laughs> sprinkled help. in, yeah, sprinkled in. But all Chinese up until I met my husband, and my husband's a black guy. So to bring home a black guy to a Chinese family, uh, that's a yeah. big deal. And they were like, Okie dokie.
1: Essentially, my parents were like, "Cause my mom, my mom, my mom is her more, I guess, white. She's her skin is white. I mean, my dad is more brown. He actually, when he moved to DC he always get." confused for Indian or Pakistan or something like that because he was, he's, he looks like, and I got my uncle also looks like that, so, but my grandparents also were were not very fond of him in the beginning, and also because he, my dad came from like a poor neighborhood and stuff, but then my dad, he actually won them over because he was polite and educated and hardworking and all this stuff, and then finally, they I remember my parents or my dad would tell me that when they, my, mom, when my mom and dad started dating, so... I wonder, like for you, I was asking, like, did you, did your husband had to charm them more than usual in order to find the right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning there was a lot of, it was definitely very tense and it's just ironic because I think my parents, well, they're going to hate that I'm saying this on the podcast, but I think they had certain beliefs and it was just ironic because I was like, mom, he has a law degree and his dad has an, his MBA and a law degree. And his mom was the head of the nursing department in mm-hmm. some big hospital. So whatever you're thinking, they're yeah. actually more, ed- I was like, mom, they're <laughs> actually more educated than <laughs> we are. Like, you know? <laughs> so I remember that was like one of my arguments, but, and Ruben will tell you this too. As soon as you have kids, it all goes away. So it was definitely tense in the beginning. And now I have two amazing sons and my parents love my husband. They love their grandkids. They love my in-laws. It's just, it's all love. But I think it's tough to accept something when you have an expectation that you've held yeah. for so long. And I think they just kind of always expected that
2: there yeah. would be a Chinese son-in-law in their future. And But you know, the counter, the counter argument I used to make when I got into trouble for not bringing home Indian girls and Francisco probably an argument you could make too. It's like, but you brought us here. <laughs> like, you yeah, yeah, yeah. wanted me to yeah. settle down with a Punjabi, Apparently. blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. should have stayed yeah. in India. A yeah. lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's
1: true. It's like, how did you expect me? All right, now I have to find here? Man, it's like, yeah, I could have stayed in India. There's right. a, a billion over there that I can choose.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we're almost out of time, but are you ready for speed round?
1: Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. I don't know what that <laughs> you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Could I change or what? I <laughs> Put you a shirt back, back on. <laughs> okay, good.
2: What is one thing about you that no one expects?
1: That I'm more serious than people see, I, I guess, especially with stand-up and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, think that's,
2: I, think that I, I believe get... that. I mean, we've been this has been mostly serious shit for the last forty yeah. minutes. Yeah, you're,
0: you're really not funny at all, actually. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to talk when because it's funny. I do love to talk about stuff like this, and so yeah. I really get I really get passionate about it, and then I forget ways to be funny. You,
2: you don't know? have to be, man. This is great. This is great. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, this yeah. is. Just, yeah. just add laugh okay.
1: tracks in between.
2: Perfect. Perfect.
0: What is a book, a movie, or a show? that you would recommend that has characters that you can relate to?
1: It's pretty popular, but I guess Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yeah. I think it's like, yeah, I mean, I love, I think every, like, I think I mean, I love that show. I've seen every episode and I can tell you basically all the lines of each episode. And what I love about it is I relate it so much because that's kind of my thinking. Well, it's not, Is the thinking of, of stuff that's very universal that everybody goes through. And each character in that show, also represents also a part of my personality that I can relate to as well you know, with George in a way or Kramer being crazy and then Elaine and, and Jerry. So I love it. I mean, that's a show that I think uh, represents me.
2: Growing up, I used to watch that show. It's one of my all time favorites. I would watch it with my parents and yeah. I would be like, you guys are being like George's parents. I would always tell them that. <laughs> and you know what my parents' remark was? It was like, well, that makes you George. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. all right. What's your favorite mom dish? Something your mom makes that you.
1: <laughs> well, my my mom doesn't cook, so <laughs> literally that's one thing that's very. I never grew up cause a mom that cooks. Because so my mom always was a working woman, always in a corporate office and stuff like that. So we always had a maid growing up, in, especially in Venezuela, because in Venezuela, yeah. it's you can afford it.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, like everybody has a maid. It's just not, not have to be. I mean, my mom actually, basically, I had to have a, like a knee surgery last year and. And she came here to actually stay with me, to help me out, stuff like that. And the, basically what she cooked was fried eggs, which is not <laughs> something, you know, that's literally how are you going to mess fried, right? I mean, you can't right. do nothing. So uh, my dad was very great in the opposite. He was the, he was the one that cooked. And uh, I guess my one of the things that he did, which I do also very well, is arepas, which is a Venezuelan. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, I don't know
1: if you, yeah they have it yeah. in New York. Uh, but yeah. like, so dad i guess that could be one of the things that i miss from my dad
2: dude i was in Venice. this is our first
0: favorite dad dish you're the first yeah. guest to yeah, talk about a dad see? dish yeah. yeah no my
1: mom sorry man sorry my mom is not the typical mom <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom doesn't hug me you're digging yourself a hole be careful <laughs> true. Like, i mean she just she taps she's a tapper She's a, she a like, tapper. Oh. That, but that tap means hug. Yeah. They're so wicked. I mean, like, I grew up in a family that is so weird with emotions. So like my mom doesn't hug me or cooks for me. She just yells it.
0: But that's how she <laughs> loves you. That's how she loves you.
1: That's how she loves me, yeah. <laughs>
0: What's your least favorite food?
1: I love food. So it's like, it's hard to, why can't you say favorite least? I guess, uh. Yeah, fried some, egg just say fried eggs yeah, <laughs> just fried egg fried eggs made
0: by my mom
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: anything that my mom cooks oh <laughs> no <laughs> we're gonna need you to sign a legal disclaimer yeah, for your exactly. mom like <laughs> just knocks you out oh me.
1: she's fine she's fine she she retweets everything I tweet and I don't think she has an idea of what the tweets means. I mean she retweets <laughs> about that she's like you're not you shouldn't be retweeting this it's like at all this is like bad so. <laughs> But yeah, anything that my mom cooks.
2: <laughs> Who is someone out there that you would want to interview on a podcast?
1: I would love to interview Leonardo DiCaprio.
2: Why? <laughs>
1: Why? I want to ask him, hey, man, how do you get all this Victoria's Secret money? <laughs> 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 nah, no, no, my, my girlfriend's listening, so she's going to get mad at me. No, I mean, I just like his whole career trajectory, especially yeah. the fact that he's been, he's been doing it for so long and since and yeah, basically as a kid. So for him to sustain that, and I would love to just talk to him about his whole career and having the choices that he, that he has made, how he made those choices, all that stuff. Because I, I that's one guy that I do admire and that I look it's like, hey, if I could have a career, especially in the acting role,
2: do you want to be more of an actor or a comedian? Like what's, I mean, I know you played both strengths really I well. Both.
1: I love both. I love both. I think I'm always... I mean, I started doing comedy. I'm always going to do comedy. I love comedy. But I definitely love acting too. And I, would, I mean, definitely, if, if I had to, let's say, take a, a big break of doing stand-up because I'm doing so much acting, stuff like that, I would not mind. But then I would always come back. I definitely love both. I think it's two ways because I finally found... And it was a struggle in the beginning because I couldn't do – I could only do stand-up. When I go to auditions, I didn't know how to act. I was trying to do stand-up while acting, which is completely different. But now that I found it both, I really enjoy both because with stand-up, you can just – it's me and it's my thoughts. and I can just be – do whatever I want with acting. You're definitely in another role, another position. And I love doing that too. I love being different – I love being different characters. I love, I mean, that was my first thing that led me to to do an improv was doing characters. I love doing characters. And so I love both. I think it's one of the things that I don't have one or the other that I want to focus on. I love focusing on both.
0: Final question. You ready for the last question?
1: Yes, yes.
0: What does being a model minority mean for you?
1: What I like about it is that I think if I can make other people have their, you know, like uh, impact some people, especially younger people. Because I do, I do a lot of colleges, for example, sometimes uh, for stand-up. And most of the times when I go are actually minorities that either set up the shows that come to, or come to see me. And sometimes I get kids that are just, they're just so, they text me afterwards or Instagram and message like, man, I'm, that's so cool. I've never seen somebody like you doing this. This is when I wanna do this. So if I can, make people like that maybe in a model minority to other minorities so they can also follow their dreams and be cool or do what they want to do that's that to me that's a, i mean that's one of the reasons you know talking about what you guys were saying about famous and great i mean if i can be famous because of that that'd be awesome
0: that's great well thank you
2: yeah this has been just a great hour of just kind of digging into your mind and seeing what makes you tick thanks for being so honest
0: I'm starting this conversation about Black Lives Matter from a place of privilege in relationship to the experiences that my parents have been through. And that's what breaks my heart when I see younger immigrant generations calling their parents racist. This is where I failed when I first started having these conversations with my parents. How much time have we as the younger, more privileged generation really taken the time to pause and really understand beyond just one or two stories, the years of discrimination and injustice our parents had to endure. And just because that was their experience, does that mean it can actually be replicated by others?
2: That's it for now. I've been Raman Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk
0: to you soon.